0: How you been, Brother Ben?
1: I got my first ever case of COVID, at least
0: oh, wow. <laughs> one where I had
1: a positive test.
0: Oh, well, you should be immune now for a little while or something.
1: Yeah, hopefully.
0: Have you been to any cool concerts since we last spoke?
1: I have not.
0: No, because you've been sick, right?
1: I think I actually probably caught COVID at a concert.
0: <laughs> of course. At least you did it having a good time, Brother Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: when I tested positive, it's because the person I went to the concert with which was on a Wednesday, texted me on Sunday and said, I have COVID, <laughs> and, I, and I hadn't seen her since then. And then I went and tested, and I'm like, Yep, I do too.
0: I met this girl on Wednesday, took her to a concert, got COVID, she never spoke to me again. I was blocked by Sunday. Dun, dun, dun.
1: No, no, <laughs> it wasn't our first and won't be our last.
0: Yay! All right, let's have a listen to the first crazy clip, which I have called Adventures in Unprofound with Will McClellan. All right, here we go. <laughs>
2: McClellan played an important role in early church history. As a 25-year-old, he loses his wife, his daughter, and comes in contact with the church, and really goes through this conversion process. is pretty profound because of his background as a teacher, as an educator, uh, and his writing abilities, kind of takes a prominent role.
0: William wanted to believe, but in spite of everything he had heard so far, he still was not convinced to join the church. He prayed for direction. Reflecting on his study of the Book of Mormon, William realized it had opened his mind to new light. He knew then that it was true and felt honor-bound to testify of it. They don't really say how it was profound, like, okay, yeah, he lost family members, but everyone loses family members. How does that make his conversion profound? I don't get it.
1: I don't think it makes it profound. Mm. I don't know, maybe for him personally, but not in like a universal sense. No. But I do think that it unintentionally says a lot about the state of mind that you need to be in to join a weird religion.
0: (laughs) Yes! It does, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) What I mean by that is like people who are in transitional periods or whatever, Uh, they're going through shit. They're a lot more likely to do that than people who are just chilling in their regular life and things are going fine. Yeah. So like in that sense, unintentionally, I think that says a lot about the kind of person that you're going to get. You know, when I was on my mission, the only people that ever wanted to have anything to do with us were almost entirely refugees from other countries.
0: Right, yeah.
1: And they didn't know if they were going to be able to stay, and they were in this very unsettled place. But the people who Mm -hmm. were settled down just had no interest. Right which is why god has to kick everybody's asses every once in a while because otherwise they get too happy and complacent, you know. We can't have that.
0: Ah, oh god, he's just so bloodthirsty. He's just never happy with us, brother Ben. He loves us, but then he wants to just kill us. But then he loves us and then he wants to put us in the meat grinder. Not really sure what he wants.
1: He's a very emotionally abusive parent.
0: That's right. He's bipolar.
1: At best. <laughs> and honestly, that's the best case scenario. The other option is that he's 100% asshole, but he knows if he's nice once in a while, that'll make the asshole worse. <sighs>
0: at the end of that story he wanted to join the church he wasn't convinced and then Mm -hmm. he prayed about it and then his only reasoning was oh this has opened me up to new light okay you assume it has um great i'll join that does not sound profound or anything this guy would have joined amway if that's what
1: if that's what hit him at the right time in the right state of mind then yeah
0: yeah it's hard to know he might have been in an emotionally charged state because of that or he might have just been like that normally that's yeah, a bit hard to say
1: no that's true there are some people are more like that than other people
0: that's right let's have a listen to the next clip this one's called Ezra the difficult person and I put in brackets awesome person. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I can guess why <laughs> Ezra Booth is
2: becoming a bit antagonistic because of some experiences where he felt like he saw the imperfections of the prophet joseph seemed to get fixated on that couldn't let it go couldn't forgive him for being human perhaps
3: <laughs> it becomes a bit of an obsession almost he starts writing letters published in a newspaper pretty widely circulated those letters are actually picked up later and published in kind of the first full-length anti-mormon book he really kind of goes off the deep end here It starts off small, but he just can't let it go and becomes a difficult person and causes a lot of difficulties for Joseph and for the saints.
0: Oh, my God. The first anti-Mormon book, that would be called Mormonism Unveiled, but it's spelt like viled, -viled. (laughs) unviled.
1: Is
0: it? Yeah. Mormonism Unveiled, spelt the way we spell it these days, is actually a different book. It's still from the 1800s, but yeah.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: So I got that book here and yeah, there are a lot of Ezra's letters in it. I did scroll through them and there's also Lucy Harris's quote from her in there. This book was printed, it says 1834 here, really soon after the Book of Mormon was released. It didn't take long for like someone to be so pissed off Mm -hmm. that they just were like, no, and here comes a book. And don't forget that these letters that Ezra wrote was before this book came out, so <laughs> it's pretty much as soon as the get go, there was anti-Mormon literature to uh, sink your teeth into.
1: <laughs> he recognized Joseph's flaws as a human being, oh. among them being an inveterate liar, right? treasure hunter and a con man, you know, all personal failings, because he's a human being. Right. And I don't know why he can't just let that go.
0: Why can't he let that go? <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's because Joseph sets himself up to be more than human. If he'd only said he was human, then you could forgive all of these things, but the prophet's word is supposed to go. Only he was able to speak for the church, because he had a revelation that said so.
1: (laughs) This is a thread that runs from the beginning to today of, anytime something goes wrong, it was a human's mistake, and anytime something goes right, it was God, and sometimes it was God. And then it was a human mistake. (laughs) And it's not like God said, quote, now quoting myself, right? They just say everything. (laughs) And then they just sort of decide later.
0: That's right. I'm going to say a bunch of stuff right now. And then in 10 years time, whatever comes true, I'm going to say I had my God hat on when I said that. And all of the stuff that was wrong, that was me speaking as me. Exactly. Very convenient.
1: Well, and especially since the person who's going to be saying that in 10 years is going to be a different person because the first guy is probably going to be dead.
0: (laughs) That's right. Rusty's going to be so dead pretty soon. I wonder if you can bet on it. That sounds a bit morbid, but you can bet on all sorts of things. I wonder how much life Rusty has left in him.
1: I want to look that up.
0: Brother Ben googling.
1: I love Google.
0: Google is your friend.
1: Nothing immediately jumps out, unfortunately. <laughs> so.
0: I wonder what Sister Wendy will do when he dies. I think that she won't remarry. I think she's had enough of that, hey. I don't think she was ever into it in the beginning. Fortunately, at the age she married him, she probably never really had to be that into it anyway. So, good on you, Sister Wendy. You're living your best asexual life. You go, girl.
1: She gets to travel a lot.
0: Yeah, right. Apartment. Ah, she is.
1: Probably eats pretty well.
0: (laughs) You can tell she eats pretty well. She's crushing Mormonism.
1: How do you figure?
0: As far as being a successful human alive, Mm. she is making Mormonism work for her.
1: Ah, that kind of crushing. Yeah. I was thinking more of like stomp on it crushing, but you mean like. Ah. Yes, getting everything. (laughs)
0: Crushing. <laughs> I wish I could crush Mormonism, but all I can do is this silly podcast. But maybe one day it'll collapse on itself. And as I keep saying, I'm going to buy that fucking temple if I have the money.
1: Uh, you should go in with some other people and start a sex cult. <laughs>
0: An alternate sex cult to replace the previous sex cult that was already there, but make it more awesome somehow.
1: There are many, many, many ways that occur to me. Just off the top of my head, you could make it more awesome.
0: It could be a sex club. It doesn't have to be a cult. Yeah, That's been done though, right? You know.
1: Well, everything's been done.
0: What ideas did you have?
1: I know that I want that on your podcast, but... I would definitely start by not making uh, the men sit on one side, the women sit on the other.
0: Right. You got to get them to mingle.
1: And they wear uh, far too many clothes.
0: Right. And you know, that baptismal font, they could turn that into a spa. What else is there that they could turn into something else?
1: You've got a lot of rooms with just chairs and big TV screens.
0: Right. You
1: could use those for lots of things. You've got
0: Ah. rooms
1: with altars, which I'm sure could be repurposed.
0: Ooh.
1: And then you've got the big light-filled room in the middle.
0: Very good lighting for video work.
1: Lots of couches and stuff.
0: Oh, it could be a great place to shoot Mormon-themed porn. Yes. I hear that's popular amongst a certain kind of clientele. Yes. So, I really appreciate Ezra for just not being able to let it go. I like his tenacity because I feel like that too. That the more I do this, this is my thing. Like, ridiculing religion. Ah, I just need to. I can't let it go. It's just, it's too too silly, and I was in it myself. I was silly.
1: I think if that was not the case, you probably wouldn't feel as strongly about it.
0: Probably not, no. <laughs> I'm sure
1: that's true for me, so.
0: Yes. <laughs> i found the whole passage that's supposedly from Lucy Harris. Shall I read some of it? Yes. This could all be bullshit too, of course, because it's all hearsay. That's the thing. Like, Even though I love that she was an opponent to Joseph, it doesn't mean that she has all the truth either in the early part of the winter in 1828 I made a visit to Martin Harris and was joined in company by Joseph Smith senior and his wife the gold Bible business so-called was the topic of conversation to which I paid particular attention that I might learn the truth of the whole matter I find it really strange that they refer to it as the Bible when it's a totally different book. They told me that the report that Joseph Jr. had found golden plates was true, and that he was in harmony, translating them that such plates were in existence. Alright, oh, how was he translating them? And that Joseph Junior was to obtain them, blah 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 blah, was revealed to him by the spirit of one of the saints that was on the continent previous to its being discovered by Columbus. Wow, okay. Ah, oh, this is a bit hard to read. They said that the plates he then had in possession were but an introduction to the gold Bible. That all of them upon which the Bible was written were so heavy that it would take four men to load them into a cart. <laughs> and yet Joseph ran with them. That Joseph had also discovered by looking through his stone. Well make up your mind, how did you discover him? The vessel in which the gold was melted from which the plates were made and also the machine with which they were rolled. What? Apparently Joseph also discovered the melting... Oh, Jesus Christ. Where did he stash all of this shit?
1: Nowhere. Up his ass. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> which is, incidentally, where he also keeps his looking stone. Mormon's first butt
1: plug. Just as a, uh, <laughs> public service message. Never put anything up there that you don't know exactly how you're going to get back out
0: right
1: stones are not good butt plugs
0: right because you'll end up in hospital it's one of those sex sent you to the er stories i'm sure yes (laughs) which is a real show i watched an episode of it once oh he also discovered in the bottom of the vessel three balls of gold wow so virile Each as large as his fist.
1: (laughs) I hadn't heard that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What a story. The old lady said also that after the book was translated, the plates were to be publicly exhibited. Admittance, 25 cents. She calculated it would bring in annually an enormous sum of money. That money would then be... Very plenty, and the book would also sell for a great price, as it was something entirely new, that they had been commanded to obtain all the money they could borrow for present necessity and to repay with gold. So was Joseph going to repay Martin Harris with gold, not with money? Who
1: knows? Here's a big lump of gold.
0: Yeah, here's a gold ball. Go and play with it.
1: Don't (laughs) look too closely.
0: The remainder was to be kept in store for the benefit of their family and children. This and the like conversation detained me until about 11 o'clock. Early the next morning, <laughs> the old lady took- I'm guessing the old lady is-
1: I think it's Joseph's mom.
0: Yeah, Lissy Mac. Oh, it just sounds like she's so in on it, hey, because she's so instrumental in all of this.
1: No, no, she's definitely-
0: uh Oh, she's in on it, yeah. yeah. The old lady took me into another room and after closing the- the door she said have you four or five dollars in money that you can lend until our business is brought to a close the spirit has said you shall receive fourfold Oh, she's such a con woman. I told her that when I gave, I did it not expecting to receive again, as for money, I had none to lend. I then asked her what her particular want of money was, to which she replied, Joseph wants to take the stage and come home from Pennsylvania to see what we are all about. What the fuck? To which I replied, he might look in his stone and save his time and money. <laughs> (laughs) You go, Lacey Harris, you tell her. That's awesome. I'm so glad we read this. (laughs)
1: That's awesome.
0: The old lady seemed confused and left the room and thus ended the visit. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's great. That is great. In the second month following, Martin Harris and his wife were at my house. Maybe that's his new wife, is it? Oh, no, hang on. I didn't see this, but this bit is actually signed by Abigail Harris. So it's another Harris...
1: Maybe a sister or something.
0: Or... Right. This is still interesting anyway. That's great. Martin Harris and his wife are at my house. In conversation about Mormonites, she observed that she wished her husband would quit them as she believed it was all false and a delusion. To which I heard Mr. Harris reply, What if it is a lie? If you will let me... Me alone I will make money out of it whoa it's implied that Martin Harris didn't care if it was a lie he saw it as a money-making scheme too I was both an eye and an ear witness of what has been stated above which is now fresh in my memory and I give it to the world for the good of mankind I speak the truth and lie not God bearing me witness Abigail Harris wow you go Abigail for real this next bit is actually Lucy as far as I can tell <laughs> (laughs) This is the next day, November 29, 1833, being called upon to give a statement to the world of what I know, respecting the gold Bible speculation and also of the conduct of Martin Harris, my husband, who was a leading character among the Mormons. I do it free from prejudice, realising that I must give an account at the bar of God for what I say. Martin Harris was once industrious, attentive to his domestic concerns, and thought to be worth about $10,000. Wow. I mean, that's how much you win on Chopped now, but back then, that would have been like winning (laughs) MasterChef. He is naturally quick in his tantrums. And in his mad fits, frequently abuses all who may dare to oppose him in his wishes. However strange it may seem, I have been a great sufferer by his unreasonable conduct. At different times while I lived with him, he turned me out of the house. Wow, that's horrible. About a year previous to the report being raised that Smith had found gold plates, he became very intimate with the Smith family and said, he believed joseph could see in his stone anything he wished <laughs> that's right anything he wished
1: <laughs> it's better than porn huh? <laughs>
0: that's right anything you wished ah <sighs> now i've lost it made me lose my
1: <laughs> my bad
0: where did i go anything you after this he apparently became very sanguine <laughs> That is a good word in his belief and frequently said he would have no one in his house that did not believe in Mormonism. Wow, that's not good. Mm. you got to live in the world too, you know. It even says it in the Bible, live in the world but not be of it. Like, you can't just shut people out. If only cults who are Bible-based would read that part of the Bible anyway.
1: There's a whole lot of Bible.
0: Yeah, there's a whole lot of Bible you could use for decultifying people and sort of just getting them into a mainstream religion, which would arguably still be a better spot than in a cull. No doubt. (laughs) And because something would not give credit to the report he made about the gold plates, he became more austere towards me. In one of his fits of rage, he struck me with the butt end of a whip, Jesus, which I think had been used for driving oxen. (sighs) and was about the size of my thumb, and three or four feet long, beat me on the head four or five times, and the next day turned me out of doors twice, and beat me in a shameful manner. Oh, that sounds like it was, like, maybe...
1: No, it's nasty shit.
0: Yeah, it's horrible. The next day, I went to the town of Marion. There, my flesh was black and blue in many places. His main complaint against me was that I was always trying to hinder his making money. Oh, my God. She was trying to keep money. You had $10,000, you dickhead. When he found out that I was going to Mr. Putnam's in Marion, he said they had sent for him to pay them a visit. On arriving at Mr. Putnam's, I asked them if they had sent for Mr. Harris. They replied, they knew nothing about it. He, however, came in the evening. Mrs. Putnam told him never to strike or abuse me anymore. He then denied ever striking me. While she's standing there black and blue, I would imagine. She was however convinced that he lied. Yeah, I would be too. As the marks of his beating me were plain to be seen and remained more than two weeks. Whether the Mormon religion be true or false, I leave the world to judge, for its effects upon Martin Harris have been to make him more cross, turbulent and abusive to me. His whole object was to make money by it. I will give one circumstance in proof of it. Oh, here we go. One day, while at Peter Harris's house, I told him he had better leave the company of the Smiths as their religion was false. To it, she replied, if you would let me alone, I could make money of it. That's right, we already read that. It is in vain for the Mormons to deny these facts, for they are all well known to most of his former neighbours. The man has now become rather an object of pity. Yeah, like when we were reading about him in this series earlier, I did feel sorry for him, but now this is just another whole aspect to the story. Hearsay, say, but... Ugh. That's all we've got from any of this.
1: I don't think it's terribly shocking that you can be both the abused and the abuser.
0: That's right. It's all a sad, sad story from multiple angles. He has spent most of his property and lost the confidence of his former friends. If he had laboured as hard on his farm as he has to make Mormons, he might now be one of the wealthiest farmers in the country. He now spends his time in travelling through the country spreading the delusion of Mormonism and has no regard, whatever, for his family. With regard to Mr Harris being intimate with Mrs Haggard, As has been reported, it is but justice to myself to state what facts have come within my own observation. To show whether I had any grounds for jealousy or not, Mr Harris was very intimate with this family for some time previous to their going to Ohio. They lived a while in a house which he had built for their accommodation, and there he spent the most of his leisure hours and made her presents of articles from the store and house. He carried these presents in a private manner and frequently when he went there he would pretend to be going to some of the neighbours on an errand or to be going into the fields. (laughs) So many stories from Mormonism of going into the fields. After getting out of sight of the house he would steer a straight course for Haggard's house. At times when Haggard was home he would go there in the manner above described and stay till 12 or 1 o'clock at night and sometimes until daylight if his intentions were evil the lord will judge him accordingly but if good he did not mean to let his left hand know what his right hand did and that's it the above statement of facts ifm to be true Lizzie harris All right. Thank you for indulging me reading that. I know it was long, but I think there were some really juicy bits there that we haven't heard in this at all.
1: No, it's interesting stuff.
0: If they were going to be fair with all of the history, as they put it, which is really just collections of hearsay from the people that they choose to listen to, you've got to listen to everyone and just put the facts out there and go make up your own mind, which then really not doing
1: but i mean that's not really the point of the show to start with so
0: no it's not is it
1: the point of the show is give just enough right so that if some person comes up but well, what about blah, blah, like i already know about that like you don't actually but you think you do
0: all right let's both listen to the next one which i've titled joseph writes the preface for his own book who else you're not supposed to write the preface for your own book but of course with Joseph, no one else could do it. as perfect, could they?
2: At one point where Ezra's claiming that Joseph's hiding things or keeping things in secret or that his revelations are being kept away from the saints, that instead of Joseph hiding, he says, well, let's publish the revelations then. Put it out there and let people (laughs) decide for themselves. Can you tell us the story about the preface? They make their first draft, bring it back, and everyone's kind of disappointed in it. They don't feel like it's adequate. And then joseph receives this
3: revelation
0: what i the lord have spoken i have spoken and i excuse not myself he declared (laughs) and though the heavens and the earth pass away my word shall not pass away but shall all be fulfilled whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants it is the same Oh, isn't that just precious? I do not excuse myself. Joseph writes as God, I guess.
1: <laughs> oh, that's exactly what he's doing.
0: They came back to him with a preface that nobody liked. God was just wasting everyone's time by that, wasn't he? God looked down. They're going to write the preface, but I know that they're going to fuck it up, but I'm going to let them do it anyway. Mm. <sighs>
1: That's just how we learn. (laughs)
0: That's right. God wants us to fuck up so that we learn from it.
1: There are quite a few words in that book that have uh, passed away since then.
0: I have heard that. This was the earlier version of Doctrine and Covenants.
1: The original book was called The Book of Commandments.
0: In the episode, they actually mention that the Doctrine and Covenants no longer has some whole section in it. I forget what it was.
1: There's just a lot of stuff that's in that book that is demonstrably not true. Things that are no longer followed.
0: That preface that was quoted at the end of the bit we listened to, is that something that you've heard before?
1: That particular phrase at the end, whether by my own voice or the voice of my servants. Right. That's what we would call a scripture mastery scripture.
0: Right. I think it's funny that they call that a scripture mastery verse, but yet they don't treat a lot of the Doctrine and Covenants now like it's scripture. That's a real cognitive dissonance thing right there too. So much cognitive dissonance. Where do you want to start? Where do you want to end? You
1: just got to learn to (laughs) absorb some of that.
0: Just absorb it. Let it all in. (laughs) Oh, dear, oh, dear. He is quite the control freak, though, isn't he, Joseph? Time and time again, like when somebody else was having words from God, it's like, no, we can't let that. It can only be me.
1: So, now I'm looking at Wikipedia, and apparently there were some additional revelations that were added. Wow. After Joseph's death.
0: Right. Are these ones by Joseph or from other people?
1: Well, they're supposed to have been from Joseph. (laughs) There are a couple of things that are added later just because they literally are later. (laughs)
0: Right. It was going to be called the Book of Commandments, but then... The printing of it got all messed up because...
1: They got attacked.
0: Or what I like to call yet another Mormon persecution story, because the true believers love the persecution stories. They want to be the underdog. Here's an interesting one.
1: I'm reading directly from Wikipedia. Awesome. In 1876, Section 101 from the 1835 edition and subsequent printings was removed. Section 101 was a statement on marriage. Oh, really? As adopted by an 1835 conference of the church and contained the following text. <laughs> Inasmuch as much as this Church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman but one husband, except in the case of death, when either is at liberty to marry again.
0: <laughs> it goes on
1: to the revelation about polygamy was first written down eight years later. Oh. Versions that were published between 1843 and 1876 would have had both the section 101 with that line about one man and one woman and the later section 132 about polygamy.
0: Oh my God. How were they not all so confused? Well, I guess they just weren't reading this stuff, were they?
1: Well, but the thing is they were practicing polygamy way before that. Right. In in 1835, when this statement was adopted about one man should have one wife, there were lots of mans who already had more than one (laughs) wife.
0: The thing that's interesting about the Mormon take on it too, they don't totally discount the idea that that women could have multiple husbands too, although they don't focus on it. But I think that's kind of nice. They're kind of trying to make it equal, even though in practice it kind of didn't work out as nicely as... For real. If everyone could just marry whoever they wanted to and have big families, and if it was not a power game, great, you go do it. And it probably will be like that in the future, the way things are going. Um, We'll have to wait and see.
1: Fingers crossed.
0: Definitely. All right, let's move on.
1: More persecution.
2: But the opposition was strong. The printing press was destroyed. Several members of the church... Rescue these pages of Revelation, which they viewed as so important, and the great story of the the Rawling girls going and hiding with these pages. And they didn't get their ten thousand copies of that original printing, but several members made their own bound copies of these loose pages that have been rescued. It speaks to how important the revelations really
1: were to them.
0: These bound copies, is that something passed down in families or are they in some museum or is this something you've ever heard of?
1: No, I'd never heard of that before. I'm not shocked by it.
0: No, because a lot of these things are sort of kept in the families, aren't they? (laughs)
1: Lol. I have family on both sides that goes back that far, but they haven't handed me down anything like that, which undoubtedly sell for many, many, many thousands of dollars. (laughs) Yes. Of which I would pay zero in tithing.
0: Right, yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Probably the longer you wait too, the more it'll go up in value.
1: you got to wait until like the multi-level marketing firms put out a, a really solid annual report. <laughs> yeah. And you get two or three of those that are doing well and that's when you put it up for auction. Just let them bid it up.
0: It needs to hit peak MLM or peak Mormon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so these rolling girls or rolling girls, I'm not quite sure what he said there.
1: Rollins, R-O-L-L-I-N-S. It's a last name.
0: Oh, sounds like you know the story. Tell us about this story because they didn't elaborate on it at all. But apparently they went and hid it. I guess they were members of a devout Mormon family.
1: I'm trying to click on a link on the church's website with a story about it. And it says, 503 service unavailable.
0: Well, that's not helpful.
1: No, not at all. They apparently say it's like, a lot. It says remnants of nearly a hundred copies, so it seems like a lot of the copies that would have been out there would have been because of them. It goes on to say, fewer 30 are known to exist today, including several incomplete versions. The LDS Church has one, the Community of Christ has some, a couple of local universities. When sold on the open market, the book regularly fetches over a $100,000. Wow. And there's a complete volume sold at auction for 390000 and a local book dealer here in salt lake city who said he sold one for 500
0: wow that's uh, d- uh 500 i mean yeah
1: <laughs> oh it's u.s dollars not australian if that helps
0: <laughs> yeah that's right that was rude. no it's not rude. Brood. it's so valid <laughs> yes yeah, so our australian dollar is shite uh not as bad as the new zealand dollar though no <laughs> All right, so there's two more clips left. This next one is called Nancy Fights Emotion with Reason, which is a common thing when you're trying to talk to someone who's in a cult or a religion. You start using reason, and reason just doesn't work because everything is just based on a feeling that they've got.
3: Nancy is kind of a traveling preacher, generally fairly tolerant of other Christian religions, and she hears about Joseph and... The members in kirtland and she stops by she
2: thought, thought the latter-day saints were uh were off <laughs> <laughs> and they, were, they were deceiving people and she was there to try to keep people from following the mormons she says to joseph you're deceiving all these people and and you're uneducated and how could you do this and why would god work through you and uh, i think it's one of the most beautiful statements in the whole chapter joseph testified simply the gift has returned back again, as in former times, to illiterate fishermen.
1: I don't think he was a fisherman, but still.
0: Right. It was more quick wit than actually divine words. And yet this guy was so impressed by those words.
1: Yes, he was very impressed.
0: (laughs) I guess Joseph must have had a lot of these quick witticisms that he could just pull out that would superficially seem like really profound or something.
1: I'm sure he had lots of opportunity.
0: He would have too, because he hung around tent crusades.
1: I have long been of the opinion that he was a very clever dude.
0: Yeah. I don't know what to think about Joseph like I think he was a con man I think lots of people don't know what to think about him because he's just such an enigma in some ways
1: oh yeah for sure
0: I thought that was interesting that there was a female itinerant preacher I didn't know that they existed in the 1800s
1: the early days of Mormons like Joseph Smith Brigham Young era a lot more activities were open to women like preaching and even doing blessings and stuff like that. Women used to be allowed to do that stuff. It was probably Brigham who put the kibosh on that. He was like,
0: no, we're going to be
1: pretty damn conservative about this crap.
0: Yeah, let's be pricks.
1: Joseph was a little bit more (laughs) woo-woo.
0: Maybe Joseph liked women more than Brigham did. I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs>
1: Probably some of each.
0: Yes. <laughs> That's right. Just that quote at the end there, that the gift has returned, as in times of old, to illiterate fishermen. Is that a phrase that you've heard before? It sounded like it was a common Mormonism.
1: I don't remember hearing that.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah, basically, she goes up to him and says, you're deceiving people. This is wrong. Blah, 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 blah. It seems like she was trying to give some reasons. and. He just gave her just bluff. He's just all bravado. He's all vibe, this man.
1: I think that's clever, too.
0: It is clever. It is.
1: It's much better to do that than engage.
0: Right. Which makes me wonder why he wanted a book so much. Because once you've got a book, then people can hold it against you.
1: Well, you know, Young was much more of a long-term thinker than Joseph was. I think Joseph was just ad-libbing.
0: Right. Flying by the seat of his pants. Maybe to Joseph the book of Mormon was more like a prop rather than something you would actually read
1: I think his mom told us what the idea was right he was going to sell the book for a lot and I don't know what he was going to do for his like 25 cents a shot everybody gets to look at the plates thing <laughs> Like, maybe he just planned to build them at some point and, you know, got shot before he got a chance, but...
0: The Book of Mormon peep show. (laughs) There's
1: the tent with the bearded lady. Right. And then there's a tent with the plates.
0: Right. We pull back the veil, you see the plates for five seconds, and then we close it again.
1: And then you go onto the next curtain to see the conjoined twins.
0: Right, right, right. And it would be displayed in such a way that you wouldn't be able to touch it or verify that it's gold. It would be a facsimile of some sort, I'm sure.
1: It's holy. If you touch it, you'll die, like the Ark of the Covenant (laughs) or something.
0: (laughs) It's so interesting that they were talking about putting it on display, but then we've had stories all along about, no, he can't show it to anybody. No, it's so holy. No, people would die if they looked at it. And yet at this early stage, they're talking about, oh, no, we'll we'll end up putting it on display. (laughs) Such conflicting stories that how can you believe anything that eventually came of all of that?
1: That was just Joseph speaking as a man.
0: (laughs) That's right. All right. Let's have a little listen to the last one.
1: The Unprofound Guide to Revelating Coherently.
0: Yes, The Unprofound Guide. (laughs)
3: Joseph Smith's scribes described the way revelations were recorded. The scribe seats himself at a desk or table with a pen, ink, and paper. The subject of inquiry being understood, the prophet and revelator inquires of God. He spiritually sees, hears, and feels, and then speaks as he is moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Joseph Smith proceeded to dictate, waiting for the scribe to write and read aloud each sentence. Harley P. Pratt, who witnessed the recording of several revelations, stated that there was never any hesitation reviewing or reading back in order to keep the run of the subject.
0: There's several things about that that I find odd. I want to start at the end, though. Now, I have a little bit of trouble understanding what is meant by the sentence there, but I'm going to assume if Joseph wanted to hear back what he'd already said, there was no problem in doing that. They could go back and review and then keep going. Did it mean that to you?
1: It felt like the first bit was different than the second bit. Right. The first bit was say a sentence and then he'd wait for it to be written down and read back to him, which of course would give you plenty of time to think what your next sentence was going to be, even if you were literally just making it up. Yeah. But then the second one makes it sound more like he's just talking and writing is being done. And then every once in a while he's going back. But I feel like the first one is probably more accurate just logistically. Right. Like you're trying to write out longhand with a quill pen. Even if you use like a special shorthand for, and it came to. pass, (laughs)
0: it would still take a
1: really long time to write. And then maybe a different one for, and behold... (laughs)
0: Yeah, so there kind of there's two ways of making a story there either with more revision or less revision but either way definitely very doable almost easy to have a somewhat cohesive narrative just straight off the top of your head.
1: At this point like he's written the Book of Mormon he's got a lot of practice.
0: And I assume that going into these things he probably already had some idea of what he wanted to say.
1: I feel especially confident the one about was very well thought out.
0: Oh, yeah. Because there was a whole narrative there. There was an angel with a burning sword that was going to stick it up his ass. And the
1: audience of one, his wife.
0: <laughs> Who he never totally convinced. No. That was a bit of a failure there, Joseph. Well,
1: she stuck around and put up with it for a while. and
0: That's not a happy marriage.
1: I don't think it was happy for anybody involved, especially not for her. But
0: No, it's hard to picture anyone being happily married to Joseph. <laughs> True. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's all I had for you today. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for putting up with all of that. I'm sure that as an ex-Mormon, you probably want to forget your life as a Mormon. And here I, no. every couple of weeks, just drag you back into it.
1: I mean, I'm still really close to it because of where I live.
0: Of course. Yeah, a bit hard to ignore it.
1: I find the whole thing pretty interesting. I find the psychology of it interesting. It is. The history, like the real history, is still really interesting to me, especially because because I was raised that way and then you get like the backstory, like the rest of the story or the real story wherever you want to think of it it's probably some combination of all of those things <laughs> but it's just like oh
0: oh, the whole story includes all sorts of other stories <laughs> and so for that
1: it, it kind of it's tickles uh, parts of my brain yeah,
0: and, for sure. in
1: ways that I find uh, pleasant
0: uh, I find it fascinating too well thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and doing this adventure with me and you know we've got the hundred the episode of this podcast coming up in seven after this one. So if you have any ideas of how we should celebrate, do let me know. But I want to do something. just don't know what.
1: <laughs> top ten facts that make you go
0: mm. Yeah, like a top ten list like they used to do on Letterman.
1: Right, sounds good.
0: <laughs> Thanks a lot. See you later.
1: See you, Benji.